0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is ACB Media, the broadcast home of the ACB 2022 Conference and Convention. good afternoon everybody in the american council of blind diabetics in action my name is tom tobin i'm the president of acb diabetics in action i were delighted to welcome you here this afternoon for what i think you will find a very uh, informative and uh, uh entertaining program this afternoon um I, I don't know i personally think we're in for a real treat this afternoon so um We are offering five hours of programming for our ECBDA uh, convention programming. So we have uh, two panels or two uh, programs today on July 5th, and we'll have two tomorrow. Um, So we uh, hope that those of you that are here with us today will come back tomorrow for two more informative, entertaining presentations. Um, So I want to acknowledge uh, Danette Dixon, uh, who is in actually physically in our, in our convention program room this afternoon. Danette is uh, the chair of our convention program committee. And um, I can't say enough about the great work that Danette has done this year to bring you this amazing convention program. She and her convention committee have done just an absolute fabulous job. So, Danette, thank you so much for You're working right. hard to, to bring to bring us uh, some really amazing programming this afternoon. So, as we all knuckle down on diabetes, right? So. Uh, so I think we're going to go right into our program here, um, and I, our facilitator today uh, was supposed to be Terry Suarez. She's now known as Terry Croak Suarez because she uh, has a bug and she can't speak, so <clears throat> I'm going to try and speak on her behalf as long as my voice hangs in there. Um, but today we're going to for our first panels on knuckling down in endocrinology. and we have three great presenters this afternoon um diana isaacs is someone i got to know gosh diana what in 2018 Uh, she's an endocrinology pharmacist at the cleveland clinic foundation and she got me started on my libre continuous glucose monitoring system um i will let you diana talk or introduce your colleagues uh, because i'm sure you can give a much better introduction than i can Um, and we'll cover we'll cover topics on all things hopefully uh, diabetes both type one and type two I don't want to steal their thunder, but um, but uh, I would just like, I'd just like to say that we have an hour and 15 minutes, Diana, so if you could allow about 20 minutes for questions, uh, that would be great. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to turn the program over to Diana.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for having us. Um, yeah, my name is Diana Isaacs, and I'm an endocrine clinical pharmacist, and we do have slides, which I recognize many of you may not be able to see, but it will help us stay on track with our content and make sure we allow plenty of time for questions. So uh, for those that can't see them, great. For those that can't, no worries. We'll try to be really clear with our words. I want to introduce my amazing panel that will be speaking with me. We've got Beth Zelensikhar, who is also a clinical pharmacist that works in primary care, doing a lot of diabetes management with me at Cleveland Clinic. And then also we have an interdisciplinary panel. We have Natalie Bellini, who is a nurse practitioner at the RMB Medical Group in Williamsburg, New York. So we're very excited. Our outline for today is we plan to start off with a drug update because there's a lot of new innovations in the management of diabetes. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to do a technology update. We're going to talk about continuous glucose monitors and connected insulin pens, uh, as well as insulin pumps and automated insulin delivery. and then. We will plan to leave uh, 15 to 20 minutes for any questions that you all may have. So, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Beth to really start us up with the drug updates.
2: All right. Thank you for the introduction, Diana. I'm Beth. I'm excited to be here today talking to you all about all of the latest and greatest and newest things in the treatment for diabetes. So development in the treatment modules for, for diabetes is happening rapidly. We're seeing new medications come to the market at a high, fast-paced rate, and we're seeing advertising for these new medications. So you might have heard of Ozempic, Trulicity, Jardiance. Vokana, um, and then the newest medication, Mountjaro, which I'll touch on that one in a little bit. I want to start off with kind of like, what's the big deal? Why do we care about these new indications for medications that have already been around to treat diabetes? Well, the first is cardiovascular disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States and the leading cause of death in people with diabetes. Additionally, we care about our kidneys. Kidney disease is affecting about 15% of the US adult population and 40% of people with diabetes. So the best thing that we can do for our bodies to prevent complications and prevent heart disease and kidney disease is controlling blood sugar readings and controlling blood pressure. And we have two amazing classes of medications, our SGLT2 inhibitors and are GLP-1 agonists that have consistently shown heart and kidney benefits in people with diabetes in large clinical trials. So these are the two classes of medications I'm going to focus on today, SGLT-2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agonists. The first class will be the SGLT-2 inhibitors or sodium glucose co-transporter two inhibitors. It's a mouthful, we'll just stick with SGLT-2 for today. We have four medications in this class, Jardians, Farcega, Invokana, and Stiglatro. And these medications are working in the kidney to make you pee out your sugar. So if sugar is high, these medications are going to kick that kidney into gear and say, hey, you better get rid of this sugar, filter it through the kidney and you pee it out. So there's lots of benefits from these medications. We clearly see blood sugar lowering. That's what these medications were first approved for. Because of the unique way that SGLT2 inhibitors work in the kidney, there's low risk for hypoglycemia, meaning they're not likely to cause low blood sugar readings. They also can help aid in weight loss. They're kidney protective, meaning they will prevent the decline of kidney function over time. We can see a decrease in cardiovascular events, meaning a reduction in heart attack and stroke in people who take these medications versus people who don't. And a decrease in heart failure hospitalizations. So people who take these medications, the SGLT2 inhibitors and have heart failure are less likely to go into the hospital compared to people who don't take the SGLT2 medications. And they also can lower blood pressure. So lots of awesome, amazing benefits from our SGLT2 inhibitors. Like I said, they work in the kidney. So I just want to hone in on the the kidney for a minute. Um, In the kidney, we have nephrons. We've got all these nephrons. And this is where the SGLT2 inhibitor medications are really, really working. So blood comes in from the body. Blood comes into the kidney, goes into the nephrons, gets filtered, And then our clean blood or our filter blood returns to the body. Well, normally 90% of the sugar that comes through is going to get reabsorbed back into the body. What the SGLT2 medications do is prevent this reabsorption. So instead of having the sugar go back into the blood, go back into the sugar, it stays in the kidney and then gets concentrated in the urine and you pee it out. So peeing out that sugar. This is going to lead to a reduction in volume, reduced fluid, reduced volume. When we have reduced volume in the body, we're going to see heart benefits. We have a decrease in blood pressure. We have a decrease in how hard the heart has to work. So less stress on the heart. We're also going to see increase in urination. So the higher the sugar is, the more urination that is going to happen because the body's just trying to filter it out. Um, but the more you urinate, the more you get that decrease in volume, which is beneficial. We also see decrease in inflammation and decrease in how hard the heart is working. Additionally, the kidney gets protected. Long-term, the kidney doesn't have to work as hard to filter things out of the blood. So think of a car engine. The more you use it, the more you work it, the faster it's going to wear out. Well, the same with our heart and our kidneys. The more we use it, the harder it has to work, the faster it's going to wear out. These SGLT2 medications, Jardians, Fristiga, Stigladro, they really help protect the kidney and the heart long term. But like any medication, there is the possibility for adverse effects or side effects. So just the nature of the medication is that there's an increased risk for urinary tracts and, and yeast infections. The sugar concentrates in urine, bacteria love sugar, increased risk for infections. Um, that's probably the most frequent side effect that I see in practice is the, the UTIs and yeast infections. I mentioned a lot about volume and how you are peeing more. Well, with this, you can get dehydrated easier. So it's important to stay hydrated with plain water. If you're dehydrated, you can get dizzy. It can lead to low blood pressure, things we don't want to see. So stay hydrated with lots of water. Short-term, we can see a small increase in CM creatinine. Serum creatinine is just a lab that we draw to measure kidney function. We like to see that number lower. Um, it's common with these medications to see a slight increase when you start, but long-term, the benefits are there for the kidney. We want people on these medications. Rarely, we will see things like ketoacidosis, diabetic ketoacidosis. Necrotizing fasciitis, which is a severe infection. And then also with cannigal flows in our Invocana, we can see an increased risk for bone fractures. Um, but that's been specific to that medication in the class. So we've covered the benefits, the side effects of our SGLT2 inhibitors. So, Jardian, Cicolatro, Barstiga, Invocana. We can see decreased hospitalizations and heart failure with these medications decrease cardiovascular events decrease in stroke and heart attack and improve kidney protection so let's take a look at the latest and greatest new medication mounjaro mounjaro was just recently approved by the FDA for use in people with type 2 diabetes mounjaro is really neat because it targets a new class of therapy called GIP receptors, or the glucose dependent insulinotropic polypeptide receptors. So we'll stick with GIP. It's a mouthful. Manjaro is our newest GIP agonist. Um, Before I get into too much detail about Manjaro specifically, I do want to just give a, a brief background on the GLP-1 receptor agonists. I can't talk about Manjaro without talking about our GLP-1s. The GLP-1s have been around for several years. These are the medications like Ozempic, Trulicity, Victoza, Vieta, Bidurion, and Ribelsis. Ribelsis being a once-daily pill. All of the other ones in this class are injections, but Ribelsis is our pill form. So the GLP-1s been around for a while. And then we have newly approved Moundjaro, which is a GLP-1 plus a GIP. We've got two receptors being activated. These two receptors, GLP-1 and GIP, are what we call incretin hormones. And these are things that are released in the body when the body senses nutrients or food in the gut. So in a normal person, you eat food, your body senses it and releases GLP-1 and GIP. Um, two things, or a few things I wanted to highlight about these medications are the newer doses. So Ozempic was recently approved in May for a higher dose of up to two milligrams a week. Previously, the maximum dose was one milligram a week. Now we can go up to two milligrams for additional blood sugar lowering benefits, weight loss, etc. Additionally, Trulicity, has been approved for higher doses, three milligrams and 4.5 milligrams. These have been around for a little bit longer, um, but still wanted to point it out. And then we've got Jaro, that is actually available in six doses, a lot of different doses for Jaro. Um, we just have to always start at the lowest dose and go up slowly to whatever that your targeted dose or maximum dose would be, and go anywhere from 2.5 milligrams all the way up to 15 milligrams a week. So lots of doses for Mounjaro. So I do want to circle back to the benefits of these medications. So we've got blood sugar lowering. Medications for, were first approved for use in diabetes. So we're clearly going to see our lower sugars. Um, additionally, there's low risk for hypoglycemia. So not likely to cause low blood sugars. And then other benefits that we see is a decrease in appetite, increase in weight loss, reduced cardiovascular risk. So reduction in heart attacks, strokes, and death from cardiovascular causes. And what I can usually sell patients on is the once weekly dosing. So, so much easier to take a medication once a week and be done with it for the week than taking pills or other injections multiple times a day. So I think that's a really big pro for a lot of people. A few of the cons is uh, potential high cost. So these are newer, they are brand name only. So insurance coverage could be, you might have high copays, especially if you have to meet a high deductible. The same goes for the SGLT2 inhibitors um, in terms of the high cost possibility. Um, Side effects for these medications, most commonly we're seeing nausea and vomiting, Um, usually nausea, vomiting only in severe cases. So, kind of not the best side effect but what's good is it usually goes away over time so people might experience some mild nausea in the beginning and it should go away um very rarely do i discontinue these medications because people can't tolerate the nausea or they have any vomiting or other side effects and then the other con which is may or may not even be a downside is that it can take a long time to reach the maximum dose on these medications like i said for manjaro that comes in six different doses and you can only increase it every four weeks. So it could take you about six months to reach the maximum dose of Mount Jaro. So I'm taking a look at how these medications really work in the body. I mentioned GIP and GLP-1 are incretin hormones released in response to food in the gut. So when GIP and GLP-1 are activated, what you're going to see in the body is an increase in insulin release from the pancreas. And an increase in insulin sensitivity, meaning your body is going to better use the insulin that it has, improved insulin sensitivity. We will also see a decrease in glucagon production or a decrease in the sugar that your body produces and a decrease in food intake and a slowing down of gastric emptying. So this is where you get the reduced appetite. All of these mechanisms put together are going to work to improve blood sugar control. And these are all the things that are impaired in people with type 2 diabetes. So this class of medication, the GLP-1 agonist, the GIP agonist, work really well for people with type 2 diabetes. The one thing I want to highlight is the newest medication, Mounjaro, or the generic name is Terzepatide. Mounjaro was studied head-to-head against Ozempin. Ozempic was previously the most effective medication we had in this class for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. It was the Ozempic used to be the best at blood sugar lowering and weight loss. And then tirzepatide or mounjaro comes along and we see some pretty amazing results. So, looking at reduction in A1C first. Well, throughout this trial at the end of the trial Patients who were taking Ozempic one milligram a week throughout the trial saw an average reduction in A1C of 1.8 points. So, 1.8 point lowering of A1C. With the Terzepatide or the Mounjaro, even at the lowest dose of Terzepatide, people saw more A1C lowering: two points for the five milligram, and up to 2.3. Percentage points of A1C lowering with the maximum dose of Mounjaro, 15 milligrams a week. So you're seeing really good A1C lowering. I will say the Ozempic two milligram dose, that higher dose I mentioned that was recently approved, was not included in this study because it wasn't available at that time. So we only have the head to head of the newest Mounjaro versus Ozempic one milligram. And then change in body weight was also studied. So Ozempic. We saw about a 5.7 kilogram reduction in body weight, which is about 13 pounds. Well, and then I look at terzepatide, and terzepatide at the lowest dose, five milligrams a week, had about 7.6 kilograms of weight loss, which is 17 pounds. And then with the 10 milligram dose, people saw about 21 pounds of weight loss. And at the highest dose of 15 milligrams a week of Manjaro, 25 pounds of weight loss, pretty significant. And then truly the latest data is the Surmount One trial. So this Surmount One trial was recently published and this is looking at terzepatide specifically for weight loss. So this is looking, it looked at the efficacy of terzepatide in people that don't have diabetes. This was just focusing on people who are obese. And the weight loss seen in this trial is phenomenal. Um, so the the weight loss with the placebo throughout this 72-week trial, people who are just taking the placebo medication saw about a three kilogram weight loss. So not much, um, or 3% weight loss. And then people who were on the terzepatide who up to the maximum dose, 15 milligrams a week, they saw about 21% body weight reduction. And in these patients, that is about 51 pounds of weight loss over 72 weeks for people that were taking the terzepatide 15 milligrams. It wasn't as significant for the terzepatide 5 milligrams, but it's definitely not something to uh, throw to the side. People on the 5 milligram dose still lost on average about 37 pounds over 72 weeks. So pretty impressive stuff for this medication. I haven't seen the GIP molecule, the GIP GLP-1 combo therapy hit our uh, diabetes guidelines yet because it's so new. Um, But I do anticipate in the near future we will see these medications added to the guidelines for the treatment of diabetes. At this time, right now our our guideline associations so the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology and the American Diabetes Association do recommend the use of these medications the SGLT2 inhibitors and the GLP1 agonists for people with diabetes and these recommendations these medications are recommended regardless of baseline A1C because these medications have been so effective at preventing Cardiovascular disease and reducing progression of chronic kidney disease. These medications are now recommended as first line therapy in a lot of patients, along with metformin. Um, so the ACE guidelines and the ADA guidelines, they're both recommending SGLT2 inhibitors, GLP1 agonists, and hopefully soon we'll see the addition of the GLP1 GIP agonist tirzepatide to these guidelines. So takeaways for these uh, type 2 diabetes drugs, I'll say it again, I've said it a million times already, reduced cardiovascular risk with all of these medications, improved cardiac outcomes, really good for the heart, and decreasing kidney disease and decrease in heart failure risk for people who take the SGLT2 inhibitors. So I've summarized our type 2 therapies. I do want to turn it over to Diana now um, for a quick look at the latest and greatest for our type 1 therapies. Great.
1: Well, thanks so much. That was excellent. Um, Yeah, so I just had a couple of things that were exciting. So if you haven't heard of this, there's been this uh, exciting movie or documentary, really, called The Human Trial. And this just recently, like in the last week or so, that it was shown. It was shown live I think in LA and then it was available to rent on um, online. But it's actually about a company called Viacite and the human trials that they're doing to try to identify a cure for type one diabetes. And there is kind of a running joke in the diabetes community that the cure is five years away and people keep talking about how it's five years away. And, um, but just so you know, this documentary was really, it was a very impressive documentary because it, it was very real in terms of The people living with diabetes really trying to, you know, wanting a cure for their condition. But also, the research is really impressive. And it it basically followed the story of the first two people in this clinical trial. Unfortunately, the therapy didn't work. Basically, it's putting, it's implanting these stem cells, which are supposed to be able to produce insulin. Now, it's, it's still very encouraging, though, because the clinical trial was continued. And the cells did start to produce insulin in some of the additional individuals. And now they've actually partnered up with another company where um, the therapy... So in the trial, they had to take these immunosuppressive agents, like when you get a transplant, right? Right. But they identified a way where you don't have to do that anymore, where you implant these cells and you don't have to take the immunosuppressant therapy. So anyway, the research is still going. They talked about how this research takes a very long time to do. It's not easy getting things approved through the FDA and doing human trials. But do know that there's active research going on and it's really it actually really does sound promising. I don't know that it will be in five years, but it does seem like we're, we're getting, we're heading in that direction. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to share uh, on the next slide is uh, another agent that we are actively waiting for FDA approval for. It's called teplizumab. It's a monoclonal antibody that was submitted to the FDA. And basically, it has shown in clinical trials that it can delay the progression to type 1 diabetes for people that are at high risk. So, what they've done is they've tested people that have. Like an immediate relative with type 1 diabetes, understanding that they, they could be at higher risk. And if a person has two or more antibodies that are positive, it means they're they're pretty much destined to develop type 1 diabetes. And what they showed was that when they give this drug to those people, they were able to delay the progression by quite a few years. Um, so it's not a, a full-on cure, but it did, it does save people several years. And then the other thought is that people are more aware. So instead of being diagnosed in diabetic ketoacidosis where a person's hospitalized, it may be more slower progressing. And so that can lead to better outcomes. So we're expecting a decision from the FDA in November. Um, So stay tuned for that. I will warn you, it's a 12-day infusion. So it's a one-time dose, but it's like a 12-day infusion. So that I mean, I could see that being a little bit of a barrier. I don't love the idea of infusions personally, but um, still it's exciting to see the innovations in this area. So with that, I'm gonna now talk about technology, which I think is very exciting, all the technology innovations that we've had in diabetes. And we're gonna talk about CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, insulin pumps, connected pens, as well as connected pen caps, and briefly touching on some of the mobile applications. So starting off with continuous glucose monitors, this is an area that's really evolved dramatically over the last few years. So these are devices that go just barely under the skin that are measuring interstitial fluid. So it's a little bit different than when you do a finger stick, which is measuring the capillary glucose they they're very similar though i mean they're almost they're, there can be a slight slight delay in the readings but they're pretty they're, they are they've gotten pretty accurate they measure the blood sugar every one to five minutes depending on the specific device that you have and then they record these readings every five to 15 minutes and there's the sensor which goes just barely under the skin it's soft and flexible kind of like an eyelash And that's connected with a transmitter. And depending on the device, sometimes it's all contained in one. And sometimes the transmitter is a separate piece that you attach. And then you have some type of receiver where you can either see, or it will read to you verbally your glucose readings. And many times that receiver can actually be a smartphone, which is great because you can set it up to talk to say that reading. So in terms of why this is so important, I'm going to skip to the 42 factors slide. So there's 42 factors that have actually been described that affect blood sugar readings. And that's pretty incredible if you think about it. So, of course, we think about the big ones like food, right? Like A bowl of pasta or cereal we expect that's going to raise your blood sugar right and normally we would expect you know you go for a walk or something a long walk or that may decrease it but it's actually so much more than that we know there's effects of protein and fat in your foods we know even the outside temperature can affect certain people as well as the time of the day and different stressors your quality of sleep so the point of all of this is how do you learn how you uniquely are affected and how can you maximize your the time you spend in the target range by wearing a continuous glucose monitor so you can learn how you're impacted by these different factors. When it comes to uh, continuous glucose monitors, we have two categories that you can think of. We have real-time CGM and we have intermittently scanned. So real-time is constantly collecting data. You can view or hear your number at any point in time. With the intermittently scanned, it does require that you take either the reader or the smartphone and scan the sensor. So those are the, the biggest differences between really the two different types. And just kind of coming back to this idea of our glucose targets. So you may be familiar, hopefully you've heard of the term A1C, which is a is a, a test we often get, you know, every three months or maybe every six months, depending on what your number is, that measures how your how basically how your diabetes is managed. But what we know about A1C is that it is based on an average. And so the goal for most people is to be under 7% which if you don't know, like a lot of my patients don't know, a 7% is actually an average of 154. Like, why would you know that, right? That's such a specific number. But the point of that is to average 154, you could run really high half the time and really low half the time and average 154 and we don't really want that because we don't want people running very low all the time because we know low blood sugars are not healthy and they can be painful and also cause people to pass out and so that's not good so we're really aiming for something that we call the time in the target range which is 70 to 180 and we're trying to maximize that time in range. And CGM really helps us to understand how to do that. And so the good news is we're not, we don't need 100% in range. You might think, oh, wouldn't you want us to be 100%. But what we know is that if you can be in that range 70% or more, that leads to really good clinical outcomes, being able to avoid a lot of the potential diabetes related complications. And most people that are that obtain a seventy percent time in range are also able to reach a seven percent A one C safely. So that is our goal uh, that we look at with CGM. So I'm going to go next to the CGM devices, and we have really grown in this area. Currently, we have the Freestyle Libre, and we have the original fourteen day. There's also the Libre 2, and now just very recently, the Libre 3 was FDA-approved. Both the 14-day and the Libre 2 are what we call intermittently scanned CGM, where you scan the sensor to see the reading, and they're both, all of the Libres have a 14-day wear time, where you can wear it for up to 14 days, and then you go ahead and you put in a new sensor. The Dexcom G6 is considered a real-time CGM. That is a 10-day wear. And both the Dexcom and all of the Libres do not require finger sticks. So meaning they don't require any finger stick calibrations. And so generally, there, there are still may be times when it's recommended, such as if your symptoms don't match what the number is saying, but there are no routine finger sticks in terms of our real-time cgms we also have the medtronic guardian system this most commonly is used with the medtronic insulin pump this does require two to four calibrations per day so two to four finger sticks a day there is a version of guardian that goes that is a standalone It's not as commonly used, but it is a standalone. There are seven day wear times, and it also requires those two to four calibrations per day. And then we have a very unique device called the EverSense, which is our only implantable CGM. So it's actually an in office procedure that your healthcare, someone on your healthcare team would do, and they implant the sensor into your upper arm. Recently, there's 180 day approval now, so it can stay in your arm for 180 days, so it only has to be changed twice per year. And then there's an outer transmitter that you put on right over where that sensor is. And so one of the nice things about Eversense is if you want to detach, like if you want times where you're not connected to your device, you can easily remove that transmitter All of the other CGMs, while yes, you could just take off that sensor, then you have to use a whole new insertion device to put it in, and that can be quite costly. So, in reality, people only change it when it's time to be changed, either the 7, 10, or 14 days. Um, The EverSense does require some calibrations. The 180 day version requires two in the first three weeks, two per day, and then it goes down to just one per day. After that, and then just some differences. There are some differences in the warm up times. So most of them are one to two hour warm up times, with the exception of EverSense is a full twenty four hour warm up time. During the warm up time, you're not able to see your blood sugar readings, or hear your blood sugar readings and then also integration is another big difference between the devices so the original libre 14 day does not integrate with any other systems the libre 2 integrates with something called bigfoot unity which is a smart pen cap we'll talk a little more about the libre 3 does not have integration yet but hopefully in the future the dexcom g6 can integrate with the connected Pen called the InPen, as well as the pumps, the Tandem pump, as well as Omnipod 5 now. And then the Guardian, the Medtronic Guardian integrates with the Medtronic 770G or the older 670G, as well as with InPen. And then at this time, uh, the Eversense does not integrate with anything. So I want to quickly talk about the pipeline that's coming with these uh, devices so Libre 3, um, one of the, un- so it, it's not so easy to get Libre 3. It's a very limited launch now, but hopefully in the upcoming months, it'll be easier. But one of the big improvements is the size. The original Libre is the size of two stacked quarters, which is pretty small. But the Libre 3 is the size of two stacked pennies, uh, as well as the, the marker of accuracy is is. I, it's it, it's improved. Uh, it's not totally clear that it's more accurate, but the term we use for accuracy has improved a little bit. Uh, then talking about uh, also what's in the pipeline, Guardian 4. So that would be the next Medtronic sensor. It's actually already available in Europe. And this one has gotten rid of those finger stick calibrations. So that's very exciting. And then this will integrate with the Medtronic 780G insulin pump which is also approved in Europe. And we're anxiously awaiting for that to be approved here as well. And then the other update that we expect to happen very soon is Dexcom G7. Again, this is also available in Europe already. This does have improved accuracy. The size is also smaller, just like what we see with the Libre 3. And the warmup time has been reduced from two hours to now just 30 minutes as well as there's a grace period. If you go over the 10 days, you've got an extra 12 hours to play around with. And they've made it so that you can can actually start to put on a second sensor before the first one is done. So you don't have to wait even that 30 minutes. You just would constantly have those readings available. So that's very exciting. So that's the CGM update. I want to next quickly talk about the connected insulin pen landscape. And this might be new. You may not, a lot of people are not familiar with connected insulin pens. So before we dive into that, just kind of thinking about, well, what what options do we have for insulin delivery for those that are using insulin? So most people on insulin are actually using traditional vials and syringes or insulin pens. And insulin pens are very accurate, you know you can hear the clicks, they're they're fine, but they don't have any smart technology. And what I mean by that is they don't have the ability to help you calculate the dose or even record the dose or integrate with your glucose data. We do have that with insulin pumps. With insulin pumps We've had that for a while where there's a bolus calculator that can help you know exactly how much to take as well as there's um, there's uh, it records all of your information. Now, we do also have some other insulin delivery options. There is inhaled insulin as well, which is probably underutilized. And then we also have something called basic patch pumps as well. But in thinking about kind of bringing the smart technology to insulin pens, that's where smart insulin pens really come in. And so some basics about this are they are they're generally reusable. They're either pens that you put cartridges in or they're pen caps that go on top of your usual disposable pen. They calculate and track your insulin and data can usually be shared with your clinic. And just some additional capabilities, often there's a temperature indicator that'll let you know if the temperature got too hot or too cold, as well as letting you know if insulin expired or not. Um, generally, for most rapid-acting insulins, it's, it's 28 days. So within the United States, we have two, really two main options that are available. That is the in-pen which is made by Medtronic and is compatible with the Guardian Connect CGM or with the Dexcom G6 CGM. And then we also have Bigfoot Unity that compare with the Libre 2. So in talking about these products, or there's a few others that are probably in the pipeline or in other countries. Um, Natalie and I had the great, like, fortune of going to Spain to this amazing diabetes technology conference where we got to see the latest and greatest innovations around the world. And so just know there's a lot of other companies that are working on connected pens as well. Um, Some of those companies include like Lilly and Novo Nordisk and Sanofi. So we do expect more to come in the future, but currently we have two options. So the InPen, just to talk a little bit more about the InPen, this is a reusable pen for one year. There is no charging required, and there's a Bluetooth connectivity with a mobile app. So my understanding with the mobile app is that if you have it on your iPhone or you have it on Android, you can set up the talk to text feature so that should be able to help. This is designed to work with rapid acting insulins. So it works with Fiasp, Humalog, or Novalog. The idea being that you would still take your long-acting insulin as your usual pen. It does go in half unit increments. And then there's a dose calculator that can be set where you can input different carbohydrate ratios if you're counting carbohydrates, or you can use meal estimates as well, where you put in like small, medium, or large meal And then also the sensitivity factor, which is basically how much one unit of insulin is expected to lower your blood sugar, your healthcare team can help you calculate that. And that can be used so that if your blood sugar is above target, this helps you to know exactly how much is safe to take. The Bigfoot Unity Smart Pen cap is a little bit different in that it goes on your your usual kind of insulin pen. And they make them where they go on, I think they fit almost every pen. There's one that goes on the long acting and one that goes on the rapid acting. And it's interesting, what you do is you actually scan, you take that pen cap and you scan the Libre sensor, And when you do that, it will advise you on how much to take based on if you're eating. Basically, it gives you choices if you're eating a small, medium or large meal and based on your blood sugar, it will add that. I did ask the I I, I asked at this time because the pen cap is on the pen. It does not talk to you. So that is a limitation right now. So you would have to either be able to see it or someone you know, would have to be able to help you so you could read what it says, how much to take. When you pull off the cap, then it records that a dose was taken. And then because it's the usual pen, you should be able to kind of be able to dial it up and hear the clicks, at least with, with that. Now, I want to talk a little more about the dose calculator because um, these they actually both have the options where you can either do... Carbohydrate counting, you can do meal estimation, or you can do a fixed dose. And so these are things we like to individualize for people. You might be surprised to hear that we're saying, oh, not everyone needs to carb count, but we, it really, it depends. And some people are very successful with carbohydrate estimates where you can kind of say, okay, well, this is, this is a bigger meal for me. Um, and so we, we can design your settings so it doesn't have to be so complicated and you don't have to figure out the exact number of carbohydrates or whey foods and all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's, you know, that's something I've been using meal estimates for a lot of my patients. So with that, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to turn it over to Natalie, who's going to talk about insulin pumps and automated insulin delivery, which is really exciting.
3: Thank you, Diana. So, today we're going to talk a little bit about insulin pumps and some of the automated insulin delivery
4: options that are available. So, first, let's talk a little bit about what we call traditional insulin pump therapy. So, insulin pumps only use rapid acting insulin. So, when you switch from from multiple daily injections of insulin, you usually take a long acting and then insulin at each meal. So we stop the long acting altogether and your insulin pump delivers the rapid acting in the background in small increments over the 24 hours, every 24 hours. So if you took, for example, 24 units of basal insulin a day you would get approximately a unit an hour of basal insulin in your insulin pump. You wouldn't take your basal insulin dose anymore. Your pump would do that. And it would divide that over 24 hours or a unit an hour. And then it would divide that unit into increments about through every three minutes. So that one unit an hour would get delivered a 20th of it every every three minutes. So it's very small dosing at a time, very precise dosing at a time. And then insulin to carbohydrate ratios are entered, insulin sensitivities are entered, and even a glucose target can be entered. So that if you need extra carbohydrate insulin for carbohydrates, for example, at breakfast, which a lot of people do, you can put that that into the insulin pump and it will suggest a higher dose for the same kind of carbohydrates that you would eat earlier in the day. It also has a sensitivity factor and multiple ones at that, if you need it, that will help us reduce, like Dr. Isaacs talked about reducing your blood sugar. How much does a unit reduce your, your blood sugar? One unit might drop you 20 points or 30 milligrams per deciliter or 50, depending on how much overall insulin you take. And then we set targets for individualized uh, goals. So for an elderly patient who lives alone, I might set a target blood sugar of 130. For a pregnant patient, I might set a blood glucose target of 90. So we can vary that based on the patient's circumstances. So a little bit about patch pumps. So the first kind of insulin pump we're going to talk about is patch pumps. These are what they sound like they are, patches that go on the body. There are two that are commercially available in the United States right now. And again, we do believe that there are more coming. The secure simplicity pump is a bolus pump patch only. What that means is you would still take your basal insulin dose separately. And then the the secure simplicity pump Holds up to 200 insulin units of the rapid acting insulin, and the patient then demand on demand bolus units of two two unit increments. So you could take two units, four units, six units, and it doses administered via clicks directly on the device. And it needs to be changed every three days. So this is really nice if you change your timing of your meals, if you don't want to carry a pen with you, if you eat numerous small meals throughout the day, the secure simplicity may be the, a patch pump that you would explore. And then the Vigo insulin patch pump is a 24-hour pump. It does have basal and bolus increments. So the basal, you per, the, the provider, your clinician prescribes it, and you either get 20, 30, or 40 units of basal insulin that is delivered over those 24 hours So if your provider ordered you a U-20 pump, your basal rate is approximately 0.83 units per per hour, for example. And then you bolus again in two unit increments and you get up to 36 units per 24 hours. So how would I, and you do, you can count the clicks. There's a mechanism that would allow, um, that would allow you to do this without ever looking at it. Um. And then, so the biggest negative is it has to be changed and refilled every single day. So you take the old one off, you throw, dispose of it properly, and then you put a new one on every 24 hours. So next slide, please. So now let's talk a little bit about smart insulin pump options. So we have several smart insulin pump options. The first is Omnipod Dash or Omnipod 5. The second is the T-Slim model. And really right now we're using X2 or basal IQ or control IQ. And we're going to talk a little bit about the differences. And in the United States, we have the 770G as the the third brand by Medtronic. So there are three makers of insulin pumps, Omnipod that makes the dash. So the dash insulin pump has absolutely no tubing. Some patients absolutely love that part of it. Why do you might not want tubing? Maybe you have a pool in your backyard. Maybe you like to go into the ocean every day and disconnecting the other pumps and putting them back on. Patients say, nope, I don't want that. Some patients think about it and think tubing is a hassle and they decide without ever thinking beyond that, that they just don't want that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to feel it. So the other nice thing about the DASH is the automatic cannula insertion and priming. So it comes with a PDM and you press a button and it takes care of it. You fill the pump with rapid acting only insulin and it, and it fills itself, the tubing and the, and the infusion set itself. They're waterproof. They, you, you, you do need to, um, there's a display in, um, on, a, on a PDM, which is a colored screen. Um, for those who are visually impaired, there is not a flip from black and white to white on black which is something that I know that I've had patients with visual impairments have a challenge with. Um, It does have a calorie king food database in it. It can be changed from English to Spanish right on site. There is a rechargeable battery um, and it is Bluetooth enabled. So with a a contour meter. So next slide, please. The Omnipod 5 is considered a hybrid closed loop system. So it's So a little bit about hybrid closed loop. Hybrid closed loop looks at what the continuous glucose sensor is predicting the glucose will be in the next 30 minutes to hour, depending on the system. And it adjusts the basal based on the predicted value of the continuous glucose sensor. So in the Omnipod 5, you can actually set your own target. So the target can be set as low as 110 to 150 milligrams per deciliter. And you can adjust that by time or day. So maybe first thing in the morning when you're going to the gym six days a week, you just want to leave it at, set the target to 150. Maybe on the weekends, you want to set it a little more aggressively while you sleep, you're not eating or moving and you can change that. So there is a technology built into the Omnipod 5 called HypoProtect, which helps reduce the risk of lows. So it reduces the insulin target to blood sugar of 150 and stays there while the patient is doing whatever activity or reducing the risk of low blood sugars that they would have at a a tighter target range. There is a smart bolus calculator also built in, and this is looking at the speed and direction of change of those continuous glucose sensor arrows. So if you wear a continuous glucose sensor, if you use the Dexcom with the Omnipod 5, not only does it say your blood sugar, your your sensor reading is 126, but it also takes into account that you're 126 and single arrow up or double arrow up or going up at a 45 degree angle or even going down in the same way. So, um, and it will either add a little bit extra insulin or reduce that insulin based on the speed and direction of change based on those arrows on the CGM. We love this feature about the Omnipod 5. There's a control system from a compatible personal phone or PDM. Right now we have been prescribing these. We have a lot of patients who have adopted this technology and so far all of mine are using the PDM part of it, Um, And you can adjust different settings. You can change the carbohydrate ratio. You can change how sensitive the pump is to respond to blood glucoses when you're treating um, in between meals. You can change the active insulin time. And you can change the recommended bolus dose because the pump doesn't always know what you're doing next, does it? So let's say I'm going to have lunch and I'm going to have a sandwich and an apple. And it's suggesting for me three units but it doesn't know that I'm about to go for a walk. So maybe what it suggests is three units. And I say, I'm gonna go for a walk. Every time I go for a walk, I drop. I'm gonna take that three units and reduce it by one or even one and a half and go for my walk and not have to have a low blood sugar while I'm doing so. So it does allow you to make different changes. Um, You're not locked into that. There is a simulator app available on both Apple and Android now. And the Omnipod five holds 200 units. So it's not, if I was I had a patient that was taking large, large doses of insulin, I may pick a different system, but this to me is the easiest one to program. So maybe I would go back and forth and that's part of the clinical decision discussion that you would have with your provider. So next slide, please. So now let's talk about the Medtronic 770G. So the 770G has what is called smart guard auto mode. And what that means is that the pump adjusts the basal insulin every five minutes, targeting 120. There is a temporary target of 150 available for patients that want to, let's say, exercise or don't want to be as aggressive for for any given reason. It is Bluetooth connected, which is nice because we can pull up a patient's data at any time. So if you're used to having to download your pump at the doctor's office In the future, if you upgrade to either any of the pumps, all of them have what is now Bluetooth connectivity available at some level or another. Sometimes it's uploaded to the cloud server. Sometimes it's but ultimately, that we can pull the data so you can call the officer, send a message on your portal and say, I'm really struggling. We've been doing yard cleanup for the whole week. And or I've started a new diet and exercise plan without talking about it ahead of time. And I can look at your numbers without you having to do anything. So with the 778, it suspends before and on low options um, in the manual mode. There's a 300-unit reservoir, so those are on higher doses of insulin. This may be a different pick than Omnipod. Um, It is connected to the AccuCheck guide meter. There is a mobile app for secondary data display and wireless uploads. It's a 300-unit reservoir. And in auto mode, you may adjust the carb ratio, the insulin action time only. So... Uh, it, when the pump is in auto mode, you, change, you can change the carb ratio and the insulin action time, but not the other features on the pump. So then the T-Slim X2. The T-Slim X2 is actually a touchscreen insulin pump. It's the first of its kind. It is rechargeable and has a 300-unit reservoir. So there are tiny basal increments, and it's integrated with the Dexcom G6 there are software updates available. So this is really nice because you're not quote what we call locked into any specific um, pump software. So if a new software is available and they've made a change in an improvement in an algorithm, they basically send you a, a link and you click on it and you can update your own pump from your own home. There are two algorithms available. One is Basal IQ, which adjusts the basal and suspends for lows, so it will lower the basal or stop it altogether when the lo- when a low blood sugar is predicted, and then control IQ, which we are almost exclusively using at this point, which adjusts basal's for lows and highs, and there's also an automatic hourly correction for high bolus for high blood sugars. So what that means is if your blood sugar is targeting to be to go above 160 milligrams per deciliter, it starts giving microboluses to help bring your blood sugar down. And there is an app with that as well. So the X2 with basal IQ, both of the pumps, you can't actually tell the difference when you look at the pump itself, unless you turn on the screen um, to see what's happening. But the basal, the basal IQ. Again, only suspends um, when low is predicted or a, or low happens when it crosses a threshold. It does, not, um, it does not add insulin when a blood sugar is high. With Control IQ, which is sort of like the upgrade from Basal IQ, it's considered an advanced hybrid closed-loop system, and it looks at both. Both the highs and the lows. It adjusts insulin delivery from programmed manual settings. So your settings matter in the control IQ pump. It automatically corrects doses up to once an hour, and it's about 60% of the program correction factor, and it targets 110 milligrams per deciliter. The user must still bolus for carbohydrates and additional correction doses. So the pumps can only be so smart. The pump doesn't know if you're having pasta with bread and taramisu for dinner or grilled chicken (laughs) salad. So if you just ignore the bolus factor altogether and your blood sugar could go very, very high and eventually the pump can get you down. What we tend to find in clinical practice is the pump gets you down by the time it's time to eat again. So we really need patients to bolus for the foods that they're eating. It's FDA approved for six years and up and you can't go back and forth. You can't put one mode of software in and go backwards on the tandem insulin pump. So you can't go basal IQ for a month and then say, I don't like this. I want control IQ and go back and forth. They don't want that. We don't want that for our patients either. Next slide, please. So with the control IQ has different targets. So tandem's control IQ is the one that adjusts for basal Going uh, for high blood sugars as well as low blood sugars. So what that means is that your blood sugar is targeted above one sixty. Your pump will give micro doses, uh, and if it's so, but there's several different settings you can choose to use. In regular control IQ mode, your pump is targeting one twelve to one sixty, but you can set it at night while you're sleeping and and be a little bit more aggressive, and we can target one twelve. To 120. And why can we do that? We can do that because you're not eating or moving while you're in sleep mode. And this really makes a difference for the pump to allow it to be a little bit more aggressive. So it starts giving you more basal when your blood sugar is predicted to be above 120 versus the 160 in control IQ. There's also an exercise activity mode that will actually raise your target to 140 to 160. And it will decrease the basal a little bit sooner and suspend the pump sooner as well to help prevent low blood sugars when you're more active. Next slide, please. So here is a, there on my screen right now is a picture of the hybrid closed-loop pump comparison. And I'd like you to know that there is a website called the Panther Program. And the Panther Program at BDC. Diabetes. I'm sorry, PantherDiabetes.org. BDC PantherDiabetes.org does offer a a comparator. There. The nice thing about this comparator is you can make the font bigger so that for those of you with low vision, you can still see it. Um, and there is a comparator on my screen right now that talks about the differences. So what is automation called? In Medtronic, it's called auto mode. The T-SLIM calls it control IQ. Omnipod 5 calls it automated mode. What I'd like you to know is that these are all hybrid closed loops. Why don't we call them completely closed? Because we still need your input as a patient. We need you to tell us when you're eating, what you're eating, and fix in between in case something else is going on, like stress that could make your blood sugar higher, dehydration or illness, So in between, um, or that you just took the wrong dose for the carbohydrates you ate so that you are actually still integrating with it. It's just less work overall, um, on a day-to-day basis. That's pretty much what our patients have said. So there are several, um, differences in including target and, um, those kinds of things with each system that, Really, if you're interested in hybrid closed loop, I suggest you go to your provider and say, I know that there are three on the market. Can we talk about them all? And you really want to be seeing a provider that offers patient choice. We are very, in our practice, we are very pro-choice. I don't know what you do or what you don't do when you're not in front of me as a patient, and I want you to feel empowered with your decision making. Um, and, and I we are adamant about that in our practice. And so we offer all brands of continuous glucose sensors as well as hybrid glo-
0: closed loop pumps. Well great you guys. Um, Diana, Beth, Natalie, fabulous presentation. Um, before we get into QA, I just want to mention you you dovetailed right into this beautifully Natalie about uh, consumer feedback. And Right now, we have uh, what I affectionately refer to as an accessible insulin pump task force. And there's some people on this call today that are a part of that. There are six of us. Um, and we've already had one summit, I call it on April 6th, where just about every um, pharmaceutical company came. We had over 60 people there from the major insulin pump manufacturers to CGMs um, who all came to hear what we had to say as consumers and what we were looking for as consumers in their products. Um, so we've had several uh, follow-up meetings with Dexcom. They're very excited and very enthusiastic about full accessibility uh, as our tandem. We talked to Tandem a couple of weeks ago. So all these great devices you all talked about today are wonderful, but they're not so wonderful if those of us with vision impairment can't use them. So we are working uh, hard Actually, it's a collaboration between the American Council of the Blind, National Federation of the Blind, and the Canadian National Institute for the Blind up in Canada. So um, all the major blindness consumer organizations are standing shoulder to shoulder on this stuff so that um, we as blind or visually impaired consumers can have full access to these devices just like anybody else. And I'm a firm believer um, that technology uh, is no longer the barrier. Uh, When I started on insulin pump in 1993 – Technology was a big barrier. Today, not so much. Um, But we also need to keep in mind that we can't leave our brethren behind that don't have access to smart devices. So, smartphones, I know, are are the way to go in a lot of these devices. But we also are encouraging pharma and the manufacturers to not forget about their, you know, their uh, handheld units that come with the devices uh, as far as uh, CGMs go, um, so that people who are blind and visually impaired can use those as well because. And we're working on some other ideas on how to try and get uh, to repurpose smartphones and smart devices so that people that can't afford them can get access to them so they can fully take advantage of these, of this technology. And uh, at the end of the day, it really, it benefits all of us because the, the better that we as blind and visually impaired diabetics and get our um, uh, blood sugars under control, as you all alluded, the better off we're all going to be and live longer, happier, healthier lives. So, I thank you very much for being here today. One last announcement before we get into Q&A. So Brad, I know you're ready for that, but um, for those of you that are interested in learning more about American Council of Blind DiveX in Action, you can certainly check out our website at www.acbda.org, where you can also, uh, there's a membership form um, that you can fill out and complete and then pay your $10 dues uh, via PayPal. A very streamlined integrated system that Jeff Bishop put together for us. And so uh, that's up there for you. If you have any questions or you want help with that, you can send an email to acbdaorg at gmail.com. That's acbdaorg at gmail.com. And we'll get you the help you need to uh, get the information you need or how to um, get, uh, join, and become a member of ACB Diabetes in Action. So, with that, Brad, do we have hands raised? Janine, hello, I'll can you hear me? It.
5: This is Mary. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Thank you um, for taking my call, and I want to say hello to Tom Tobin. Hi, Mary. Excellent. So glad to tune in, Tom. I'm looking forward to meeting you tomorrow in Omaha. Um, what an excellent presentation. At the very beginning, I had my hand raised. I was wondering if some of those words you could spell <laughs> that were being shown on the screen. Um, And two, I had a question about insulin. Uh, Three, is this being recorded? Will we be able to pull this up at a later date?
0: Yes, it is, Mary.
2: What were the words maybe that you had wanted spelled out? Do you recall? Well, the the ones and twos you're talking about, the uh, GLCQ
5: hormone Mm -hmm. factor you were talking about.
2: Those are the classes of medication. So the the first class was G-L-P-1. P G is in-, in golf. L is in Lima. P is in Paul-1. Dash you. One. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, that's the, the class of medication. That's like the medications like Trulicity and Dozempic. Yeah, gotcha. Thank you. And then the other class was S is in SAM, G is in GOLF, L is in Lima, T is in TOM, dash two, like the number inhibitors. Okay.
5: And then my question regarding that is for type two is regarding weight loss. What's the deal with um do, you, do, do the person has to be at a certain weight? I'm not looking to lose weight or a lot of weight, but um, do they have to exceed a certain amount? And why only type 2? So hmm. it
2: depends. <laughs> so for use in diabetes, there's no weight requirement um typically what we see is people who have higher body weights and higher body mass indexes they tend to lose more weight versus someone who is at a normal weight they might not see as much weight loss with the initiation of these medications so if you're not looking to lose weight if you're at a healthy weight now you can still take these medications you probably wouldn't see a 50 pound weight loss um it's when people have more to lose the more they're going to lose
5: okay,
1: and that is include, oh, uh-huh. oh sorry i was gonna say i can let natalie comment on the use because you asked about is it just for type 2 diabetes and yes that's the Correct. fda approval um but natalie i don't know if you have any thoughts on the use outside of type 2 diabetes
3: Yep. I write for it all the time in patients with type 1 because I believe in my heart and soul that patients with type 1 have the same cardiovascular risks, right? And they have the same renal (laughs) risks. Exactly. Right. So, what we do in our practice um, is we, some people have dual diagnoses, right? So, the NICE guidelines, the European guidelines for type 2 is that you have insulin resistance. That's it. That means you have type 2 if you're insulin resistant. So if you have if you happen to have type 1 diabetes and you have insulin resistance, which I define as a clinician, then I write your prescriptions under your type 2 diabetes for your type 2 part of it and and we move on.
0: I have a question about Medtronic. I heard that they were going to go tubeless. How soon can you see that happening?
1: Not too soon. <laughs> So all of the companies are working on a tubeless option. Tandem also, you know, the Mo- the Mobi and then uh, Medtronic has something in their innovations, but it, it does not appear that it's in the imminent future. It's not available in any other countries. So that is the dream for all the companies to be tubeless. But right now, it, it seems pretty far off for Medtronic. Did anybody else
0: in the room have questions? Janine, are you still there? Yeah. Go ahead.
3: Um, this was so great. So hi, my name is Janine. Oh, now they're back in the room. So I'll just go really quick. So this was a really great presentation. And Tom answered the question that I was going to ask about how can we join Diabetics in Action? Um, my question is, is you guys are talking all about insulin pumps. Um, and do they all have needles that uh, put things like, do they all have a needle to put the things in the body? And then all of a sudden just go poke, poke, poke to go in your body. And then the one drug you didn't talk about was metformin. So what does that do for diabetes? So those are my two things. Do pumps always poke you and, um, what does metformin do? And this is so great. So thank you so much. All right. The now I, don't don't I take the pump, pump one Yep, and metformin. you'll do. Yep. Yeah. Like so in. I'll do the pump one. So yes, you have to get that. You have to get the insulin into the skin. Whether you use an injection like a syringe or a pen, or you use an insulin pump, it has to get under the skin. It's the only way it works. So they come with automatic insertion devices, and there's some other options. Um, But yes, there is a poke through the skin to place the catheter. And then typically the needle comes out. But sometimes we leave a needle in, depending on which model you're using.
0: Uh For the answer? Jeanette? Yes
3: okay so i just needed a clarification on the spelling of the manjaro
2: sure it manjaro is m is in mike o u is in umbrella n is in november j a is in alpha r is in romeo o is in omega
5: And just real
1: quick to go back to the metformin, we didn't talk about it because it's an older drug, but we, it's still, it's considered first line for most people Mm -hmm. with type two diabetes. And it works by basically the liver puts out.
0: um, No, I just got one.
1: The liver puts out too much blood sugar. And it stops that from happening.
0: Thanks everyone for being here. Diana, Beth, Natalie, again, thank you so much for being here, especially on a holiday weekend. We really appreciate it. Um, You guys did a great job. Just hit it out of the park. Thanks so much.
5: Oh, thanks so much for having us. Wishing everyone the best. Thank you.